Bienvenidos. From Poder Media, this is Poder Podcast. I am your host, Sergio Lagunas. This podcast features powerful stories from artists, influencers, and community leaders. On today's episode, we feature Emiliana Huereca, an entrepreneur and activist from Los Angeles, California. She is the founder of Women's March Foundation, the Women's March Action Executive Director, and of course, a leader in the movement on women's rights, activism, and social justice. Welcome, Emiliana, to Poder Podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. And let's begin with your origin story. Where does your activism grow from? And where does your entrepreneurship begin? Well, let's start with activism. Um, I'm a Mexicana, Latina. I um, uh, came to the United States as a kid. My, my parents brought us um, over and we lived in Chicago. So I grew up in Chicago as a Latina in the Cabrini Green Projects, which is mainly a Black community. So I sort of have always um, tried and find my place, as you can say. But our, my activism began early on as I was uh, a kid learning English and having to advocate for my parents because they didn't speak English. I am one of 13 kids. Our, my first, first advocacy, I would say, would be to, we were fighting for housing rights. We were moving out of the location we were living in, which was at the time appropriately called the um, Little Hell. It was that's what Cabrini Green was called. But um, yeah, so when we were trying to move out, no one would rent to us because we came from that neighborhood, the redlining in Chicago. And so I started activism and housing rights, but more importantly, I started activism early on and in, in even our own house because I'm I'm a girl in a in a Mexican household and there's a certain <laughs> there's a certain thing that comes with that which is the machismo and the the roles that are set forth for women are very different than what I wanted for myself. So early on I I I I um I I would say I started activism. And then my entrepreneurship, oh my goodness, that um that for me started as well Early on, my first business was at 18. And again, it's out of necessity. It's out of, you know, starting a lemonade stand and a cookie stand because my parents had a lot of kids. And so our role was to also um, bring in money for the household, right? I mean, two parents really can't really provide for 13 kids. We always made sure that we um, were also bringing in money for the household. And so that sparked me into the entrepreneur world. Um, I honestly never imagined working for somebody. You know, getting out of high school, I knew that I wanted to work for myself. What a vision. And it, it looks like it came true. And can you tell us how you built that with your educational background? Well, I'm the first of my household to attend university. And so I started at DePaul University in Chicago I moved to Los Angeles to finish at UCLA and to pay for college. I actually started a small clown company it was called Lulu the Clown. We did kids parties on the weekends and I waited tables at nighttime to pay for college. My parents had no student loans. My parents didn't have money. 
but uh, my degree was in mass media communications. So I was able to build campaigns. I was able to advertise for my little clown business. And then eventually, <laughs> yeah, eventually I purchased the restaurant that I waited tables. My degree came really, really um, helpful when it came to me building businesses, because what you always need is advertising and marketing, marketing budget. So um, that that was instrumental in me being able to market my businesses. Wow, that's incredible. A clown business. I would not have thought of that. How did that lead into what you are situated in now? You are now the executive director of the Women's March Action and the founder of the Women's March Foundation. How did we get there? It's it's a journey. I mean, in between all of that, I I started an event production company where I um <laughs> yes, I book talent for concerts. I have um an event production background when it comes to music and talent. I've organized for Coachella as well. So I've produced I've produced uh two years of Coachella and two stages there. So I had that background, but I think for me, the activism really kicked in as the uh, 2016 presidential election was coming to a close and um, President Trump was elected. And I really, really felt like we got it wrong. I felt like in 2016, the best woman for the job was not elected. The best person for their job was not elected on the basis of sex. Because now that we look back at the rhetoric, I mean, we're talking about, you know, a president that denigrated Latinos, that denigrated Black people, that, you know, was really using hateful rhetoric towards everyone, including women. Um, So I think, you know, that is what really sparked it. The day after the election, I actually applied for permits for the city of LA to shut down streets, what would be the largest march in the country, um, Women's March Los Angeles. I had no idea it would be that big. I thought it was actually going to be me, and I thought it was going to fail. Um, so, How did you feel when you saw people going into the street? You know, I felt it the day before as we were putting up signs and you know, still handing out flyers, and we had a bunch of media asking for interviews. I knew that people would show up, but what I was not really ready for was to sort of be the face of the march. I was really used to being in the background of making things happen, making sure logistically everything worked, making sure that everything hit off without a hitch. I was a bit overwhelmed during the first March. I think we found one picture of me (laughs) in the whole thing of organizing. So I started to feel, feel it the day before. And the day before that March, I remember it rained. It rained cats and dogs where folks were telling us to cancel. Miraculously, Saturday did not rain. um, So it went, our, our March continued. And then Sunday morning, it started to rain again, as if like the sky had cleared it for us. It was incredible that the city of LA felt the way I felt and the country felt the way we felt. Um, We felt that this was not the right choice for the country. And here we are in 2020, knowing um, after a second impeachment 
that we were all correct in 2016. Can you define as you paint that picture of that day when the universe said, you know what, there's going to be sunlight, there's not going to be any rain. What is the power of marching in your definition? I think that the power of marching is voicing our our concerns, but more than that, it is really setting forth an agenda because unless you actually say it, write it down, you can't make it come true, right? So I think that there's power in numbers. I think that marching makes sure that your voice is heard, but more than that, that people are watching and that more people will step in with you in that fight. I think also that we're not alone, right? I think what I thought was devastating, millions of people thought the same thing. And like for the past four years, we've worked to make a difference. Had I stayed home and said, you know what, I'm just going to cry. This is not going to work out. You know, I'll just put my head down and just ignore it, ignore that pain. I, I could see how folks that marched with us, they marched for immigrants' rights, they marched for LGBTQ rights, for the environment. Everybody has a story and just uniting on that day, there, there, there's a closure in it. And there's all, but there's also a start where we can all move forward and work on the issues that continuously exist in our society. Speaking of issues, in your mind, what are the top women's rights issues right now? I think right now we are looking at, well, we're looking at two pandemics. We're looking at the COVID pandemic, but we're also looking at the racism and sexism pandemic combined. And I think under COVID, what COVID has shown all of us is that, you know, the poor get poor, right? And so women, we never really reached equal pay. We didn't reach, we haven't passed the Equal Rights Amendment. So we're the first ones to get discarded. Um, my last look at the at the research on unemployment was that 140,000 women lost their jobs just at the beginning of the year, um, whether it was because they were cut or because they don't have child care. As you know, the schools are not open yet. And, and child rearing is really something that has been laid at, at women. There is no safety net for them, right? If the choice is between their husband, who potentially makes more money and usually does, and they can't find childcare and the schools are not open, they will end up leaving their job, right? And so it has set us back decades during COVID. So I think right now it's the really the employment issue for women that it has set us back decades, which means we will not reach equal pay for a longer time. As it stands, a white woman makes um, 80 cents to the dollar to a white male. A Latina makes 54 cents to the dollar. The disparity is there. The numbers don't lie. And so when we talk about now the males making a dollar, the females have 54 cents, guess who's going to quit their job? And so then therefore we don't have the, we also do not have the resources to help them to get back into the workforce. We don't have the resources to help with childcare. So women are really highly affected by this COVID pandemic. Um, and we're gonna see the results of this for decades. I believe you, and we see it. I work with students 
and when I'm telling them that they need to focus on their work and then they clap back with, well, I have to focus on my family. I have to focus on my mom who is a, you know, the only parent I have at home. Speaking of being at home and, you know, not being out or being not being able to be out there in the streets marching or even I saw in the news that you recently had to cancel the January 23rd march. How did you feel about that? I was actually sad about it. We watched the news and we wanted to actually celebrate that women had really elevated VP elect Kamala Harris. We wanted to celebrate that. Not only that, she's from California. Um, So although we did have some wins, I think that we have a lot of losses there. Um, but that didn't, that didn't stop us from sending out a petition that, um, you know, asked for the president to resign, asked for impeachment. Within two hours, we had 100,000 signatures. So I think, I think the work continues, even if we can't march, there's still advocacy to be done. Um, the other thing that I'm working on is to making sure that Women's March LA, Women's March Foundation comes full circle. We started marching in the streets of LA, and now what we want to really focus on and work on is making sure that streets in Los Angeles are also named after women, named after women of color, which is critical. So we started with Dolores Huerta Plaza um, last year, and so we're working on her street, and we will make sure that streets are named after historical women um, that have paved the path for women in California. I don't think most people know this, but um, women in California were voting 12 years before we knew about Susan B. Anthony. 12 years before Susan B. Anthony, Latina women and Black women had already advocated for the right to vote in California. So we need to make sure that those stories are told and that our streets are named after them. Sounds like you are really passionate about the work you do. What do you enjoy the most out of this? (laughs) What I enjoy the most, I think, is breaking barriers. I think that seeing my kids looking at a culture shift. I grew up in a society, and it still is, but there's just changes happening slowly but surely. Looking at the barriers that women have broken and looking at the cultural shift. I just recently had my my 10-year-old ask me who Bill Clinton was. And then my 8-year-old said, responded before me, and he said, he's Hillary's Clinton husband. It was usually, I grew up with the opposite. I don't know about you, but isn't, didn't we grow up with the opposite? Oh, yeah, I definitely did. Yeah. You're asking who is so-and-so married to? Where's your husband, right? So, so now we have kids asking who's Bill Clinton and saying that's Hillary's husband. I, I just thought that was like eye-opening that our kids are growing up with looking at women um, as equal and that there's equity for us potentially down the road. And speaking of all the hard work that you put in day in and day out, how do you practice self-care as an activist, an organizer, entrepreneur, Right, right. Um, I mean, mom, entrepreneur, I say that I I change hats to lunch lady and (laughs) two minutes flat under COVID. (laughs) So I think, you know, self-care is difficult and the balancing piece is difficult, especially when um, the past four years we've been dealing with 
quote unquote breaking news every five minutes and the and I also grew up with childhood trauma. I mean, growing up in poverty is no easy, you know, trajectory. It's no, e- it's not easy. So I think you grow up with a little bit of trauma. I think for me, self care is actually disconnecting, and really disconnecting when it comes to turning off my phone, my social media, and going out for a run. I'm a runner. I've I've run marathons. So if I can get an hour to myself. Um, a week. I'm not even talking about a day. I'm talking about a week. I'm happy. So I think self-care for me is doing something that I really can truly do on my own. No phone, no social media, no kids to handle, no phone calls to return, no texts to go back to. Because um, I can easily get swallowed by the negativity um, that gets set forth on social media. But also i yeah, so I think I think the disconnect piece is, is critical for self-care. I couldn't agree with you anymore. You are such an exceptional and inspirational leader. People want to know how you do it. What is the source of your inspiration? What ignites you and keeps you going? Essentially, what is your source of poder? I think being... A mujer, being a Latina, um, is, is, is my superpower. I think that I've seen what my mom can do. My mom had 13 kids and probably fed us with, I think at the time she made $3.25 an hour minimum wage. So I see what women can do and have done in, in my family. I mean, I have an older sister who has, you know, an eighth grade education and yet opened three beauty salons, right? So I think for me, it's being a mujer, being a Latina. I'm really proud of how my family um, made it despite despite having everything against them, from not speaking the language to, you know, living in, in poverty to not being um, legal, to not having the proper paperwork to work. I think that is my source of power, knowing that my family has done the hard work. I think my mom has done the hard work. And so for me, it's like continuing that um, trajectory as, as a strong Latina. And with being a strong Latina, what is your favorite part of the day as someone who leads the type of activism that we need in this time? My favorite part of the day is that 4 a.m. time slot where I get up, no phone calls, I make a cup of coffee, I sit and I write my plan for the day. What is it that I want to accomplish during the day and how intentional can I be in my day, right? What Sometimes I would just want to kick butt and I go out there and do it right? with intention. What is my intention? What is my plan? How do I plan to execute it? So my time is that favorite part of the day is at 4 a.m. when I have that space to myself. You've been really excellent on today's episode. Uh, what are your last words that you want to leave with the audience? I want to say that we all have a superpower. I think one of the big things that I learned in organizing and for the first time really organizing volunteers, I was dismayed at the fact that a lot of women, Latina women and Latino men too, do not see their power and diminish their power. Um, For example, we'll have negative self-talk like, I can't really do that. I only do this. No, we all have a superpower, as my mom says, 
We all have a don. We have something that is ours and no one can do it the way we can. So I would say to really find that superpower that you have, it can be crocheting, it could be speaking, it could be you have something. All of us have a superpower and it's critical that we access it um, because we all need each other. People would want to really follow up with your movement and your leadership. How can people get a hold of you or follow you? My socials are Emiliana Guereca. Yes, it's long, but I'm Latina and I'm not about to become an Emily. So Emiliana Guereca are my socials or at WM Action at WM Action is our socials for both Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Emiliana, thank you so much for being on today's episode of Poder Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Poder Podcast, the podcast con poder. This is Sergio Lagunas. Music is produced by Brian Navarrete. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or on your favorite app. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Poder Podcast.